Welcome to Victory Church. We're so glad to have you with us today. Uh, real quick, I want to do just a couple of uh, announcements before we get rocking and rolling here. First is this. If you are visiting with us in person or if you're visiting with us online, I want to ask you to do me one quick favor, and I want to ask you to text a number, all right? It's going to come up on the screen. You're going to text VICTORY18 to a, to a number, and what that's going to do is it's going to send you a digital connection card, all right? So what's going to end up happening is that connection card will come to your phone, and then there'll be some check boxes you can make, uh, some about whether or not you've accepted Christ as your Savior, maybe baptism. Uh, there's all kinds of different things that, that are on there, but there's also a box that says OTHER, and you can click that box, and then you can ask us any question. You can put any information you want there in that box. And here's what that's about. Um, I'm gonna re reference this at the end of service as well. But the reason we wanted to do that is maybe you're here right now and you're like, man, this church is awesome. I really wanna be a part of it. I wanna get connected. I wanna know more. You can do that by texting it. At the end of service, if maybe you're wanting to make a decision to follow Christ, or maybe you'd like to be baptized in water, you can do that through this same way. And so just go ahead and jot that number down if you can, text it, get that information, send it to us. We'll actually reach out to you this week and just see if we can answer any questions for you. Uh, before we move on, I want to share with you real quick the four things that we're about here at Victory, because maybe you did walk in and go, man, we really like this church. What are they about? What, 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 are, they, what, are, they, what are they founded on? What do they do? We're about four things here at Victory. We call them the four Gs, grow, guide, give, and grow. First is you growing in God. And so every Sunday we gather in here and we preach the word. We just finished going through the book of John. We went chapter by chapter through the book of John. John, enjoy that series. Let me hear it. Yep. And then we will start a new series next Sunday on the book of Acts. So we'll start chapter one, Acts. We're going to peek into it a little bit today, but we'll start studying it in depth moving on. So that's our number one focus is for you to grow in God by coming and hearing the sermons and getting involved with study guides and different things. Two is guide, guide into freedom. We do that through our small group aspect. Uh, we have two angles for that. First is our discipleship class that we do twice a year where you can come for six weeks and really learn in-depth discipleship making. It's really powerful. Um, we have a class that's about to graduate in a couple of weeks. And then we also have our small groups. Those are obviously on pause just for now until we can get a little bit safer in our community so that we can open those back up. Third is give. You can give two ways here at Victory. Obviously, you can give financially if you're wanting to support the church or if you're wanting to give your tithes towards Victory. That's one way you can do it financially. Uh, if you're here today and you want to give, there's three ways for you to give. You can do it through text. You can do it through the website. And there'll be a black box on the way out that you can uh, give money or, or put anything down in that box as well. The other way that you can give here at Victory is through serving. And so when you got on campus today, you walked through our First Impressions team. You might have dropped your kids off at our V Kids team. You might look back and see production and this worship team and all that's happening in here. There's so many different areas for you to serve. And so we want to encourage you to do that. Join the dream team. And then last but not least is give. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Go, where we go and make a difference. We are very involved in the community as a church. We have multiple outreach partners. We've got a mission trip coming up next year. We've got different things happening in July. We've got a lot of things that happen throughout the year with food banks, uh, different ministries that Empowerment Incorporated, Scott Horton Ministries, different things that we're involved in that we'd love for you to jump on board with. So that's what we're about, growing to know God, guiding to help you stay in that relationship with God and find freedom. Three, giving out of your purpose, out of what God's blessed with you. And then four, go and make a difference. So if any of those, if you say, yep, I'm in, I'm on board, do us a favor, text that number so that we can reach out to you and connect to you. Hey, if you got your Bibles, do me a favor, whether you have a paper Bible or a phone, if you'll turn to the book of Acts chapter 1, Acts chapter 1, uh, as I said, we finished the book of John last 
week or a couple weeks ago. We went through the entire book of John as a church. Next week, we'll start the book of Acts. But I want to peek into it just for a moment today uh, and allow it to set up what we're talking about. So book of Acts chapter 1. Um, I'll start reading. I'll give a little bit of detail, and we'll go from there. So Acts chapter 1, starting at verse 1, says, In my former book, now this is Luke talking. Luke is the author. Uh, Luke also wrote the Gospel of Luke. So he says, In my former book, Theophilus. So he's actually writing it to Theophilus, which is where that comes from. So, so take that name out for a second. You would read it like this. In my former book, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach. So he's talking about the gospel of Luke. He said, in that book, I wrote all about, the, all about what Jesus did, all about what Jesus taught, until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles that he had chosen. He goes on to say, after his suffering, he presented himself to them, and I love this part, this is important for you to know, and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days, and he spoke about the kingdom of God. In fact, on one occasion while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift that my father promised, which you've heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. We're going to talk a lot more about what the Holy Spirit is and what it means to be baptized in the next couple of weeks. Then they gathered around him and they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times, the dates that the father is set by his own authority. However, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Watch this. And you will be witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. I want to talk to you for just a few moments this morning from the concept, what happens after Easter? What happens after Easter. I read this story about this man. He was a minister. He had an opportunity to take his church on a mission trip to the Holy Land. So along with the people from the church that he took, him, his wife, and, and her mother went. They went to the Holy Land, and just a couple of days in, uh, his, his mother-in-law passed. And so he gets to talking to one of the undertakers of the area, and they're like, you know, what do you want to do? And he goes, well, you know, what's, what's the situation? And the undertaker says, well, you can actually fly her home, fly her body home for somewhere around three to four thousand dollars, or we can bury her right here for $200. And so the husband's looking, he's like, my goodness. So, you know, he talks to his wife and she's like, of course not. And so he goes back to the undertaker and he says, listen, I want to send her home. I want her to have a proper funeral. I want her to have a proper burial. I want the family to be there. And the undertaker says, look, I, I truly do understand, but you do realize you're talking about $200 compared to potentially $4,000. And the man said, yes, I do understand that. And I don't mean to be disrespectful. He said, but the last time you buried somebody here, they rose again three days later, and I just can't take that chance. <laughs> it's a little humor, guys. It's just a little humor. <laughs> just so you know, my mother-in-law's here, and, and she is the best mother-in-law in the world. And so it's been approved. Uh, I told my father-in-law last night, he laughed. The only person that hasn't laughed at this joke is Darla. <laughs> When I told her, I was belly laughing, and she's looking at me, she was like, I didn't get it. And I'm like, okay, we're moving on. <laughs> Listen to me, I, I mentioned last week to our church that on this, that 60% that of Americans would attend church on Easter Sunday. Isn't that crazy? That on Easter Sunday, 60% of Americans would attend church. Normally, it's about 22 to 28%. So 60% would attend. And they say that in that 60% are, are four types. They say it's the regular attender, those people that tend to come every Sunday, every other Sunday. They said it's the marginal attender, which right now, because of the pandemic, statistics say that most people are coming to church once a month. 
They say then it's the holiday attender, your Easter, Christmas, Mother's Day kind of, kind of attender. And then, of course, there's your visitor, the person who's invited by family or friend. But they go on to say that meanwhile, 60% of people are coming to church, and it is the highest attended uh, Sunday service of the entire year. Many of those people who are coming don't know why Easter matters. And so I mentioned last week that one of the reasons Easter matters is because it answers the question that you and I should be asking, who is Jesus? And so we went through all of that. And honestly, for the past 29 weeks, I've talked about that and picked out from John who Jesus is because the entire gospel of John lays out for you and for I who Jesus is, the fact that he is the Lamb of God, the fact that he is the Messiah, the fact that he is the forgiver of our sins. It goes on. He is the only way to heaven. It goes through listing all of these attributes and who Jesus is. But the reason that Easter matters The reason that Easter is important, because on Easter, we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the day that he defeated death, the day that he came out of the grave. And that's important because, listen, all of the things that you and I have heard Jesus say about himself, the fact that he is our Savior, the fact that he does forgive our sins, that he is the only way to heaven, it was the resurrection from the grave that solidified those things. It was him coming out of the grave that proved he is who he said he is. So you and I are not just following Jesus because he said he was, it's because he said he was and then he proved it when he resurrected from the grave. And so we mentioned that our faith is not founded on a religious experience. It's not built on a religious experience. It's not, well, one day I was in church and I felt something. It's not, well, my mom and dad always went to that church and and they think, you know, your faith is not founded on a religious experience. It's founded on an event, and that event is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But then I started thinking, okay, that's, yes, that's great. That is why Easter matters. But if I could get Peter to make a surprise visit or John or even Jesus, I think that once they came in here and they understood that you and I understood Easter, I I don't think that we misunderstand Easter. I think it's why it's probably the highest, or why it is the highest attended Sunday of the entire year. I think we understand Easter. I think what they would want to talk about and what they would want to focus on is this. What happens after Easter? We all understand Easter, but, but what happens after Easter. So let's go back to Acts chapter 1. As I said, Luke is writing this. Luke says, in my former book, talking about the gospel of Luke, Luke, he said, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and all that Jesus taught until the day that he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. And after his suffering, here's my favorite part. And you need to know this verse. He presented himself to them and he gave many, not one, many convincing proofs that he was alive. So here's what Luke says. Watch this. Luke says, my first book, which was kind of like volume one, okay? The gospel of Luke's kind of like volume one. And then Acts is kind of like volume two. So he said, in my first book, I wrote all about who Jesus was. I wrote all about what Jesus taught. I wrote all about what Jesus did. And then I concluded it with the resurrection of Jesus, okay? He said, however, in this book, 
I am going to start with the resurrection of Jesus, and then I'm going to conclude with what you and I should do as a result of it. This is why we're going to start studying the book of Acts next week, because we want to go all the way through this and learn what you and I are supposed to do in result of the resurrection. What, what some thought was the end of Christianity, which would have been Jesus dying on the cross, actually proved to be the beginning, Jesus rising from the grave, the beginning of the movement of Christianity. Well, what many thought was the end ended up being the beginning. Listen to me. The gospel did not stop after Easter was over. That's really important for us to grasp. Jesus didn't come out of the grave and they're like, whoop, mission complete. We did it. We made it. Put a period on it. Close the book. Wrap it up. We're good. Jesus coming out of the grave wasn't the end of Christianity. Watch. It was the beginning of Christianity. Jesus coming out of the grave is what sparked it. It's what started it. It's what lit the fire. It's what gave them the excitement. It's what gave them the boldness to change the world. Thousands are saved. Churches are planted. Many people are healed. And it all happens after Easter. Thousands are saved. Churches are planted. Many people are healed. And the world is flipped upside down. And it all happened after Easter. Not on Easter. After Easter. For some reason, our culture has kind of got it upside down. Let me explain. The reason why I wanted you to know that, that Easter is one of the, the highest, if not the highest attended Sunday service of the year for churches. Interestingly enough, the Sunday after Easter is one of the lowest attended services for churches in America. Matter of fact, depending on what circle you roll in, if you ever work for a church or in leadership of a church, you'll often hear this Sunday after Easter referred to as Black Sunday. <laughs> That's what they refer to it. Uh, and the reason for it is because the attendance drops so, so badly. And some of it looks worse because obviously the numbers have gone up on Easter Sunday, so it looks even worse. But here's the idea is a lot of people have put a lot of energy into that Easter Sunday service, and so people are tired. Everybody's tried to give their best, those who are volunteering, those that are serving, you know, those that are singing, those that are preaching, those that are, you know, and then people have, they've made it a point to be there, so they've pushed off vacation. They've done all these things. So because of that, the, the, on Easter Sunday, it's, it's huge, but then after Easter, it drops, which to me is actually backwards from what you see in the Gospels. You actually see the excitement for the gospel go upward after Easter. The messages that are preached in the end of the gospels, the messages that are preached at the beginning of Acts, the messages that actually start the movement of the gospel, listen to me, are not about religion. They're not about problem solving. They're not about changing your behavior. The messages that were preached after Easter that started a movement of Christianity weren't about you need to act better. They weren't about you need to be careful what you're watching on TV. They weren't about here's five steps how to be a good leader. The message that sparked Christianity was the message of the resurrection of Jesus. That was enough. That's what was preached 
after Easter. The reason why you see this upward uh, 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 change in people's excitement and people running to share the gospel and running to join Jesus's or to be a part of Jesus's, you know, uh, uh, to be a Christian is because of the resurrection. It's the impact of an event. Let me ask you this. Have you ever experienced something and that experience, that event, change how you act on a normal basis? All right, let me me give you some examples so that you can tag along. Uh, I can give you one right now that you just participated in. When I started talking about the adult Easter egg hunt, y'all were like, "Mm, I'm too grown for that. Like, I don't know, you know, I don't want to be, and then I was like, there's candy in the eggs, and you were like, well, I'm I'm only 30, and then I was like, then there's prizes in it, and you were like, what, honey, you should do it, you know what I mean? And then I said gift cards, and you were like, oh, that's it, I'm, I'm beating them, as soon as he prays, I'm out the door, right? Because that event, that moment changed, all right, let me give you some better ones. I was reading about this guy who, who went to pump gas, and he accidentally left the gas pump in the car, and he drove off. Y'all ever done that? Anybody here? Anybody want to admit to doing that? Okay. And he drove off and ripped the gas pump out of, out of the thing, and he said, now, because of that, every time that I pump gas and I get ready to leave, I look in my rearview mirror to, mirror to see if the pump's there. See what I mean? So he experienced this event, and this event had an impact on him that changed the way he acts. I'll give you a personal one. If you've been to Victory before, you've probably heard me tell the story, but it's one of my, my life-altering experiences, okay, where something happened to me, and now I'm just not the same after it anymore. Uh, the, the, the effect is this. I can't eat Chick-fil-A ice cream anymore. I can't, as soon as I look at it, I want fried chicken. And you're like, why, why, that doesn't even make sense. Why would you want that? Let me tell you a story, okay? Just quick, buckle up for a second. Let's hear a quick story. So before we moved here, we moved here from Memphis to, to plant Victory about three years ago, uh, four years ago. And but I, I, a couple of different jobs I had when we lived in Memphis. But when I was young, 16, 17 years old, I got a job at Chick-fil-A, okay? So I'm working at Chick-fil-A. I'm working the drive through window. Now, anybody who's put on the drive through window, they put them there because they can't do anything else, all right? That's why they're there. They're like, you don't know how to work the cash register. You don't know how to prep food. Just stare at people outside of a window. And so I just, I just started entertaining. Anybody who pulled up, I would just entertain and talk and all that. I didn't know what I was doing. So they, everybody understood, don't ask Troy to do anything, right? Just let him be where he is. Well, one day we were low-staffed, and things were, it was busy, it was going on, and the ice cream machine ran out, all right? And Chick-fil-A refuses to be like McDonald's. They want their ice cream machine to always be working. And so somebody came to me, and they said, hey, uh, we're low, we need you to, to go change out the ice cream machine. And I said, how do you do that? And they said, look, go in the back, there's a bag of, like, you know, the milk, get the milk, come in, pour it in the machine, turn the machine on, it freezes the milk, ice cream comes out 30 minutes later or however long it was. I was like, cool, that sounds simple enough, I got this. So I go in the back, I go to the back area where the shelf is, I get, it's like a bag of milk, it's like big, big bag of milk. I guess it's milk, I don't know what it is. So I grabbed it, and I come over, and I turn the machine off, and I pour it in the machine, so it's all in the machine, I throw the bag away, I close the lid, I turn the machine on, everything sounds good, I'm like, look at me. I want to raise, right? Extra dollar an hour right now. So I go back to working the drive through window. Everything's chill. I don't know, 30, 45 minutes goes by. I'm looking over my shoulder. I notice that there is an individual returning their ice cream cone, full ice cream cone, not a couple licks off of it, returning it. The, the person behind the cash register takes it, throws it in the trash can. I was like, 
That's weird. So I kept doing what I was doing. A couple minutes ago later, a couple another person comes by. Before I know it, there's three, four, five, six, seven, eight ice cream cones being returned, and they're just taking them and dumping them in the trash. Boom, boom. And I'm like, uh-oh, I'm going to lose my $1 extra an hour. So I walked over to my buddy that was working the cash register, and I said, hey, what's going on with all the ice cream? And he's like, man, I don't know. Everybody's talking about how nasty it is. And I was like, what? What's wrong with it? He said, I don't know. He said, I'm not tasting it. He said, but what they say is it tastes like coleslaw. Hold on. Don't get ahead of me. You're already at the finish line. Come back. Come back. So I said, I'm not as smart as you. So I was like, hmm, that's weird. So I go to the back. And on the back, there was these silver shelvings. And on the right were these plastic bags of milk. All right. And right next to them. All right. This is poor leadership and organization. Right next to them are bags of coleslaw mix, okay? And so, you know, it, yeah, it's basically the same thing, yeah. It's ice cream with cabbage and carrots in it, you know what I mean? You need your vegetables. And so apparently I had grabbed the coleslaw mix, put it in the machine, boom, I invented coleslaw ice cream. You're welcome. Next time you go to KFC, ask for a double piece and some coleslaw ice cream, okay? But because of that, I can't eat Chick-fil-A ice cream anymore. Every time somebody puts it in front of me, I'm like, it smells like coleslaw. I think, it, I think it's coleslaw. But it just, it happens. You know what I mean? You just, you have experiences in life. And then and psychologists say it's, it's called a conditioned reflex. They say that you and I experience something in life. And because of what we experienced, we can't go back to the normal way that we were. So now that gentleman has to look at his rearview mirror at the gas pump. Now I can't eat Chick-fil-A ice cream. Now you can't eat Chick-fil-A ice cream ever again because of what I did in Memphis. All right, it happens. It's a conditioned reflex. The same thing happened to the disciples. At the end of the gospel, but the end of the gospels, before Jesus resurrects, the, all of the disciples are locked in a room. They're locked in a room and they're scared and they have a right to be scared because the person they had been following for three and a half years is now dead. They have given up everything for him. They've made some enemies. And the assumption is that the same people that arrested, tried, and crucified him are going to come and arrest, try, and crucify them. So it makes sense that they are in that room and they are afraid. Yet now we get to Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 2, and these same disciples are preaching in the streets. They're walking in the streets, preaching the gospel. The ones who were just locking themselves in an upper room are walking in the streets, preaching the gospel. They're getting arrested. They're getting beaten. They're breaking out of jail supernaturally. We'll talk about that in a couple weeks. And they are returning right back to the streets to continue to preach the gospel. It would make sense if they broke out of jail and just ran away somewhere, right? But they break out and they return to the very spot where they got arrested, doing the very thing that got them arrested. Because they have experienced an event, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and it has had a conditioned reflex on them, and they cannot do what they were doing before the resurrection. Does it make sense? Now, here's what's important the same changing agent for the disciples is the same changing agent for you and for me. 
and it's the resurrection. What took them from a room locked in to preaching and risking their lives and ultimately all being killed for the gospel is the same thing that you and I hold today. It's the same truth that you and I, watch, are celebrating today, which is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I like the way that Sam Albury said it. I don't know that I could have ever categorized my thoughts better in a quote than what Sam Albury said. He said, many Christians, while believing in the resurrection, how many of you believe in the resurrection? You believe in the resurrection? While believing in the resurrection, and watch this, and rehearsing that belief every Easter Sunday, which is, you know, so, so not only believing it, but now rehearsing their belief, he said they continue to effectively stick it back in a drawer for the rest of the year because they are at a loss when it comes of knowing what to do with it. That's incredible. Because Christians believe in the resurrection, and many of them celebrate it on Easter Sunday. But where we mess up, or and mess up's not a good word, where we, where we panic or where we make the wrong choice is because we don't know what to do with the resurrection after Easter. We just put it away in a drawer, and we don't get it back out until the next Easter. And so it just makes me think that all of the churches in the world don't necessarily need to be preaching on Easter because we understand Easter. What we need to be focusing on is what happens after Easter. Now, here's the catch. This is not a new issue. I don't want you to feel like everybody else has got it figured out, but we don't. Like, this is a common problem, not only for us today, but for people back in Jesus's day. Let me explain to you what I mean. When, when Jesus resurrected from the grave, between him resurrecting from the grave and then ascending to be at the right hand of the Father in heaven, there was a 40-day period, okay? So Jesus was on earth 40 days walking around as a resurrected Jesus. People had seen him die. Now he's alive, and he revealed himself to certain people. Scripture says that over 500 people saw Jesus, 500 people laid their eyes, their pupils, on a resurrected Jesus. They saw him die, and now they see him alive. Do you know what you would do right now if I was like, hey, how many of you remember great, great, great grandma Betsy? And you're like, I do. And I was like, she's here. And she came out, you'd be like, ah, you know, you'd freak out, right? So these people saw a resurrected Jesus, 500 plus people. You ready? Now watch. Jesus tells them, I'm going to ascend to heaven, and when I do, I want you to go to a prayer meeting. And when you go to that prayer meeting, in that prayer meeting, you will experience the power of the Holy Spirit on you and so on. So I want you to go there. Over 500 people lay eyes on a resurrected Jesus. When the prayer meeting comes, 120 show up. So the same problem we have today, they were having then. We've got the resurrection of Jesus, and we don't really know what to do with it. I get it. I want to celebrate it. But for them, even the resurrection of Jesus wasn't enough. So, either Jesus did not resurrect from the grave, therefore, nothing that he said he is is true, therefore, why are we even here? We could be working in the garden. 
We could have slept in. We could all have a large seat at Cracker Barrel. There'd be no point to be here. Or Jesus did resurrect from the grave. He is who he said he is. Then why would you give your life to anything else? If he is who he said he is, and he did overcome the grave, then what out there is worth having all of me other than him? So hopefully you're asking yourself the question that the people asked Peter in Acts chapter 2. And here would be the question. What do I do with this information? This is great. What do, what do I do now? Acts chapter 2, let's go. Verses 32 to 38. I'm going to read them real quick and then we'll break it down. This is Peter now talking. Luke is writing about Peter out preaching the gospel. Like I said, Peter went from denying Jesus to believing again in Jesus to seeing Jesus resurrected to now giving his entire life to Jesus and he will be martyred for Jesus. Peter preaches and says, God has raised this Jesus to life. He starts with the resurrection. God raised Jesus to life and we are all witnesses of it. He's saying, look, we've all seen it. We got 500 plus people who've seen it. We're witnesses of Jesus resurrecting from the grave. He exalted to the right hand of God. He's received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit. Watch this. And he's poured out what you now see and hear. He's preaching. He says, for David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, therefore, let all of Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom, I love this, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. So Peter's preaching the gospel. And all of a sudden, this is such a powerful moment. It says, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. When Peter said, the resurrected Jesus is now the Lord and Messiah, these people, something happened to them supernaturally. Something, they were cut to the heart. They were focused. They were ready. And therefore, they said to Peter and all the other disciples, hey, hey, wait a minute. Hey, brothers, brothers. Hey, here, here, here. What shall we do. I believe in the resurrection. Peter, I'm watching you preach with boldness after you followed him and saw him die. There's something different about you. You're acting different. You've had a conditioned reflex because of an event, and the event is the resurrection. So Peter, tell me. My heart is cut, brother. I'm with you. Let's go. I'm passionate. I'm hungry. I don't want to just be about Easter. I want to be about after Easter. Tell me, Peter, what do we do? What do we do? <laughs> Give me something to do. Here's what I love about what Peter said, because remember, Peter has been given orders by Jesus to ultimately go and preach the gospel to all of the world, right? And he knows that ultimately that's all of our orders. But you can't get to step three before you focus on step one. So Peter stands up and says, you want to know what to do? Here's what you need to do. You need to repent and you need to be baptized. Now, depending on what your religious background is, both of those words could bring different meanings. So let me tell you what Peter was saying. First, Peter said you need to repent. Repent means turn to God. That's what it means. So what he's saying is that majority of the time, if we are not following God now, there is something in God's place in our life. There is something that we put our hope in. 
There's something that we put our safety in. There's something that's number one on our list that gets all of our attention. And Peter says, listen to me. The first thing you need to do now that you know the resurrection, now that you know he is who he says he is, the first thing you need to do is you need to turn away from what you're doing and you need to turn to God. And then he says you need to be baptized. Now, you can look at this one of two ways. You can actually be baptized in water, which here at Victory we say is a proclamation of you saying, I've now chosen to follow God. That's what it is. It's like putting a billboard on the side of the road saying, I'm choosing to follow God, which we do here. And matter of fact, April 18th, we are going to have water baptism here. So if, uh, if you want to get baptized, you can text that number and mark it and we'll be ready to go. You'll get a t-shirt. It'll be a great day. It'll be an incredible day. But, but ultimately what Peter was saying is this, you need to turn to God and then you need to be bold about telling everybody around you that you've turned to God, right? So, so you need to turn to God and then you need to live a life that tells everybody that you've turned to God. That's what you need to do. I thought this was so cool. Peter's saying, listen, Easter is not about Easter itself. It's all about after Easter, it's all about the fact that because of the resurrection, as a result of the resurrection, we believe Jesus is who he said he is. Therefore, we turn to God, and then we allow turning to God to influence our entire life. Therefore, everybody knows that we've turned to God. I thought there was an interesting quote. Go ahead and throw that quote up there for me. Um, by Emil Bruner. I thought this was pretty revealing when it comes to the resurrection and the hope that the resurrection brings. It says, the resurrection of Christ brings hope. And what oxygen is for the lungs, such as hope for the meaning of human life. The resurrection, it has layer of meaning. For example, the resurrection of Christ is not only the foundation for a credible faith. I've been preaching to our church for probably the last 10, 12 weeks that the reason you and I can be confident in the Bible, the reason that you and I can be confident in our faith is because of the resurrection. I said a couple of weeks ago, we have a Bible because of the resurrection. We have a New Testament because of the resurrection. Because if Jesus doesn't come out of the grave, nobody cares what John, Luke, Matthew have to say. So we have a credible faith because of the resurrection. But that's not the only purpose. The other purpose of the resurrection is also gives realistic hope that there's more to life and that there's something lying beyond the grave, church. There's something to be excited about now and there's something to be excited about then. This is what the resurrection means. Yes, you can have credible faith in Christ that he is who he says he is. Yes, you can believe that Jesus can forgive your sins and Jesus alone. Yes, you believe that he can take away strongholds and heal your body and he can do all of these things. But he's also life to the fullest, an abundant life. You can have abundant life now, here, now. And then that there is an eternity beyond your grave. These are all the layers of the meaning of the resurrection. The resurrection isn't just supposed to be celebrated. It's supposed to be impacting our lives. It's not about what we do on Easter. What did you do after Easter? Amen? You know, Peter gets a lot of 
positive response from saying repent and be baptized. I thought it was interesting that John said the same thing. John the Baptist said the same thing a couple of years before. Matter of fact, he showed up on the scene saying, repent and be baptized. Repent and be baptized. Son of God's coming. Repent and be baptized. I tried to put myself in that. I like to do this for scripture. Try to put myself like in the moment. Like what would it have been like if John was like, all right, come. Because at this point, Jesus is not here yet. Jesus is not here. Nobody, nobody knows who Jesus is. He hasn't died. He hasn't done miracles. He hasn't resurrected. But John the Baptist is saying, he's coming. He's coming. Repent and be baptized. And I picture people being like, hey, John, how much longer before you wrap this whole thing up, bud? Like, like I got to get to work in the morning. Right? I gotta, we have, we, it's Monday. We got a lot of emails coming in. You know, this other guy's over here. He's like, yeah, my daughter's got t-ball practice in like a couple of hours, bro. Like, can we just, can you just say it a little bit louder, a little bit quicker? You know, and there's that one person in the back that's like, and there's an episode of WandaVision on tonight. Like, I, you know, we need to, I need to, can we just speed this up for a second? Like, and John's like, my goodness, I can't get people to fully buy in. I can't get people to be really focused. And then you fast forward and Peter's preaching it. Repent and be baptized. Repent and be baptized. And the Bible says thousands are added to the church. What's the difference? One happened before the resurrection and one happened after. It's the power of the resurrection and what it should be doing in your life. I was talking to a good friend of mine. He's in the military. He wasn't in the military. And, and he's on a, on a relationship. What I, we like to call victory a journey because listen to me, when you decide to follow Jesus, you don't get everything at one. Like, it's not like you're just the ultimate Christian day one. Surprise. It's a process. You're learning new things about you. You're learning new things about God. It's, it's amazing. We call it a journey. I was talking to him about his journey and kind of what, you know, I'll never forget this. He said to me, he said, you know what, Troy? He, he calls me Pastor Troy. He's very respectful. He said, you know what, Pastor Troy? Now, remember, he's been in the military. He's, he's got a lot of, lot of uh, what is it, rewards, awards kind of things. He says, it's weird. The, 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 the more I get to know God, the more these other things seem unimportant. And before you throw rocks at me, let me, let me help you understand what he meant by that. He didn't mean that everything he did in life wasn't important or kids or wife or job wasn't important. But he was speaking modern day what Paul said in scripture when he said, now that I have full knowledge of Christ, all these other things are like rubbish. Stuff doesn't even really matter anymore. Why? Not because some rabbi said he was the son of God. It's because he resurrected from the grave. Church, it has to change who we are. It has to change what we do. It can't just be something that we celebrate. The resurrection has to be the very reason we are different. It has to move you. It has to empower you. Say this and I'll close. A couple days ago, I was outside with Casey Ray. She's my six-year-old. There's this long road near my in-law's house, and it's a beautiful day, so we just decided to go walking down it. And if, 
those of you that know Casey Ray, if you get five minutes with her alone, she will talk your ear off about all kinds of crazy stuff. And I love it. It's one of my favorite things to do. So we were walking and we're holding hands and she's just running off at the mouth talking about all kinds of crazy stuff, you know, and I'm listening to it. And all of a sudden, she just goes dead weight on me leaning this way, right? So I have her hand. I mean, all of a sudden, she's like, dead weight, boom, and she goes. And I caught her. I was like, what are you doing? And she was like, I've seen if I could dive off the road. And I was like, what? And I started thinking about this, like, she had never done that to me before. She never dove off the road before. I mean, I could tell you stories where she jumped off of swings and jumped off out of pools and all kinds of things, but she'd never done that before. And just in the process, here was a thought I had as a parent. If she's never done that before and I've never caught her, why would she trust me to catch her? And I realized, oh, it's because of the things I was faithful to do before that gave her the confidence that I would do this now. Do you know why he rose from the grave? Yes, he rose from the grave so that we could have life over death. One of the things I think he did it for is so that you could put so much trust in him in that moment that you would have the faith to follow him in any moment. It's because of the faith of what he's done before that I can trust him in something I've never done before. There's this movie coming out. It's called Church People. Y'all seen the trailer for this? It's a comedy movie making fun of Christians. It's pretty funny. It's pretty realistic. But there's this scene, the whole gist of it is this mega pastor wants to have this big Easter Sunday service, and he's, he's gotten so used to lights and sounds and explosions. I think it's going to be a really good movie, but uh, I hear it's got a fantastic presentation of the gospel at the end of it, but he's doing all that, and he wants to do something big for Easter, and he's talking to one of his staff pastors. Here's what he says. He goes, we got to do, it's Easter. He says, we got to do something big. It's Easter. We got to do something big, and I love this. The staff pastor said, wait a minute, the resurrection isn't big enough? And so I'm just going to step on toes for one second. What else do you need? That man rose from the grave. And he rose from the grave to affirm to you everything else he's ever said about you. What else do you need? So let's not just celebrate him. Oh, let's live for him. Ultimately, the decision is yours to make. Jesus said he's the son of God. He's the forgiver of our sins. And then he died and he resurrected to solidify that he is who he said he is. And then you and I were told to repent and to be baptized and then to go tell the world about him. So what happens after Easter is up to you. But here's my final question. Knowing what you know, how do you go back to the normal? How do you not abandon everything and follow him? How do you not sit back and go, you know what, nothing else is important. 
not as important as my life for God. So I'm going to pray. I want to leave you for a moment with a thought. That's the thought. I do want to encourage you. We'll put that number back up on the screen in a moment. And I do want to pray for you, but I also understand this. That just because you believe in Jesus doesn't mean you know how to walk it out. And we'd love to come alongside of you and help you and answer questions and help get you connected and those kind of things. And so whether it be right after service or later on in the day, if you do choose to trust Christ as the forgiver of your sins, if you do choose to turn to God, let us know about it. Text that number. Let us know about it so that we can follow up with you. Also, if you do that and you say, hey, I'd like to be baptized, mark that so that you can be baptized. That's some of the things you can do immediately after. But first, let's start with repenting. I'm so thankful that my God is not dead, but he's alive. But I'm also thankful that that assures everything else he's ever told me, including this, that he is the forgiver of my sins. I can trust him because he's resurrected. The Bible says you believe in your heart, you confess with your mouth. So literally, you can do this. While I pray, you can close your eyes and say, Father, I'm turning to you. God, I'm turning. Use whatever wordage you want to use. Confess in your mouth that you believe Jesus died for your sin, that you believe he resurrected, that he's alive. And then let us walk this thing out with you. Amen? Father, we pray right now. We're so thankful for your word. We're so thankful that you resurrected on the third day. And that you are everything that you said you are. You are the Son of God. You are the Messiah. You are the Lamb, the sacrificial Lamb. You're the only way to heaven. You are the forgiver of our sins. But Father, the message I really want us to hear today is to not get caught up so much in celebrating the resurrection that we don't allow it to change the way we live our lives. And so for every person in this room right now, your word said in Acts 2 that they were cut to the heart. That was not Peter. That was the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And so that's what I pray right now. It's not about me. It's not about the words I've said. It's about what your Holy Spirit can do in this room right now. You can cut people to the heart and help them to realize today that what they need is you in their life and to be challenged to leave out of here and to not go back to the norm, but to live differently. So Father, right now, just in the most intimate way, speak to every person in this room individually, personally, for those that are turning back to you right now, Father. There are people in this room that you've been trying to get in this room for a long time. And you knew they'd be here today. And you knew they'd have an opportunity today to turn back to you. And I love that just like the story of the prodigal son, there you are waiting arms wide open to receive us and to walk this thing out with us. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your resurrection. We love you and we thank you. 
Jesus' name, amen.